Welcome to the Art of Communicating Data Show, where every episode we try to improve how you communicate data, whether it's through data visualizations, reports, or presentations. Every episode will share tips and tricks from data experts and will leave you with actionable recommendations to improve your data communication skills. The goal is to help you grow in your data career by getting your work and you recognized through effective communication. I'm your host, Hannah, a geographer turned data professional and an introvert who loves public speaking. Let's get started. On today's episode, we have a guest, Joe Carlson. He's a software engineer who will be talking to us about building interactive dashboards with real-time data. Before we jump into the topic, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, Joe? Yeah, I'm Joe. I'm a developer advocate and software engineer. Uh, I recently got laid off and I got rehired by a new company called Tiny Bird. Um, Yay, thank you. I, I've been mostly like in the data space, but more and more recently, I've been focusing more on like how to use data on the front end and like doing real-time dashboards. In particular, like my focus recently has been on real-time data, like how that works. And then today I'm hoping to talk a little bit more about like how to use real-time data effectively. Uh, and I think that that brings us to, to you and I. Oh, also, I, I'm on TikTok. If you guys like TikToks and like want that stuff too. And I'm also on Twitter too. It's just my first and last name, Joe Carlson. I actually connect with Joe on TikTok. He has very wholesome content on TikTok. Very inspiring. I feel like your videos are very motivating and so friendly for people who are in tech or want to get into tech. So thank you for putting out this kind of content. <laughs> Podcast listeners at home can't tell, but I'm blushing right now. So thank you very much. <laughs> So yeah, I, I'm really excited for today's topic because I do have some questions and experience with real-time data and dashboards, and I haven't done them successfully. So that's why I'm excited to talk to you. About them They're hard. Yeah, <laughs> that's basically the gist, right? They're hard. And that's why we're so ex excited to have an expert like you on the show today. Can you first tell us, for those who are listening and are interested in creating dashboards with real-time data, is how this can be used to improve user engagement with their dashboards? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think we have to define user because there's, in my humble opinion, there's two different users of like a real-time data dashboards and notifications. And that's like end users of your product, but the other user is also like internal usage. It could be engineers, could be like your chief board wanting real-time sales data. It could be an engineer looking for real-time, like monitoring, logging data about their systems, or if like you're a customer of an app and you want like a real-time dashboard of like, I don't know, like where your package is being shipped around the world or whatever, right? Like, or where your Uber is as it's being delivered to you. So did I answer the question or did it make that more complicated? That makes sense about identifying who your target user of your dashboard. And I'm glad you brought up this point because usually when I advise people who are creating dashboards, the first step I always recommend is identify who your target audience is. Yes. Maybe a bunch of people look in it, but who is your target audience? So let's say someone identifies who their target audience is. Let's say it's their managers or another team. Once they identify that, how can they use their real-time data in their dashboards to help with their engagement? I actually just talked with somebody this morning who built a real-time dashboard at their company. They do like real-time personalization for an e-commerce shop. 
And they built an internal tool system using Retool and the company I work for Tiny Bird to build out a system. And the reason is, is their bosses kept coming to them, asking them for updates about what are the sales for this quarter and what are our outages and all that stuff. And every single time the data engineer would have to go back and run a SQL command for them on the data and then get that back yeah. to them. So instead of having them have to be like, like the middle person between right. that, they built dashboards for their bosses that allowed them to kind of customize the data they wanted. So they didn't have to like be running these commands over right. and over and over again. That's a great use case, actually. Well, I agree. And here's the thing too, like, I think real-time data, honestly, is a very buzzy word today. And I feel like people think they need real-time data. And the problem is most of the time you don't, particularly if we're talking about a use case for like an internal dashboard, your boss doesn't like usually need to know the real-time sales data happening at every single moment. They only care when they care or when they think about mm -hmm. it, or if there's like an alert that goes off that like something needs their attention. But most of the time, most people are just like, I need to like every week, every Friday, they're putting together like the sales data for that week or some sort of report to share the team or their boss or shareholders or whatever. Yeah, it, but it can depend. Right? I, mean, I think for the case for like a software engineer making a logging system, I want to know in real time if one of my servers goes down or a database goes down or we're seeing a mass, our users are seeing a mass right? Yeah. implosion yeah. of data or whatever. Then I want to see it in real time. But it really like, we don't really care about real-time data until we like mm. need it. There is one other use case too. So I worked for a large e-commerce site in North America. They sell lots of appliances and TVs on Black Friday. And we did a lot of monitoring, but we only really cared about it one week a year. And that was like the week before and after Black Friday. We were like constantly glued to our usage um, and stuff like that too. But it kind of depends like when you need to like access that data. That's a good second question. I Once people have identified who their target users is, is to ask yourself, do you really need the real-time data? Yeah. <laughs> or like, yeah, how often are they going to be using it? How up-to-date? Because I think when we say real-time, we're still making some concessions about what real-time even means mm -hmm. to like, is real-time mean like to the nanosecond? Does it mean the last hour? Does it mean like the last five hours a day? Like how up-to-date and like how you're architecting your system can depend on like how actually real-time you need it to be. And obviously the more real-time you get, the more expensive it gets. You're making some concessions too with like speed and accuracy and all that stuff too. I can imagine when you're talking to your target users and you ask them like, do you want real-time data? They're going to be like, yeah, of course. We want the most- Everyone does. Data, right? Yeah. I want 100% uptime. I want the data in a nanosecond. I want- every data source collected all at the same time. Like, okay, great. Uh, that gets complicated and expensive fast, but we can figure that out. You do have to ask some questions and kind of read between the lines sometimes when you're getting the requirements from users. Do they really need this? And maybe you'll need to have that conversation with a person that I know you want real-time data, but yeah. this is going to be the cost. But yeah. before we jump into the challenges, could you talk more about what are the core components of an effective real-time dashboard? Let's say you're somebody who's a data engineer, data scientist, who's like been asked to put together a real-time dashboard, whether it's like for a customer or internal or just for yourself or whatever, or your team. I think some of the big components you need for that is like being able to get that. First things first, you got to get your data, right? Where the data is, is saved can dictate how quickly, how up-to-date and how fast those queries can be. You can do those type of queries in things like a MongoDB or like in PostgreSQL or whatever, right? But they aren't specifically designed to handle real-time data, right? They're a transactional database and doing massive data analytics on row-based data sources can be like 
really expensive and the, the queries can be really slow and time consuming, which can suck. And especially if you're pulling things from like data warehouses and that sort of thing too, those are like not designed to be queried at scale in real time. They're just like designed to save your data and run big, heavy, expensive queries occasionally. So I think like how and when you're saving your data, I think is really important for like, under, like firstly, before you even like start thinking about how you're going to get that dashboard, re-architecting, re-engineering your data flow in a way that's going to be able to get it in the right place. Nice. But I think the other piece then once you get that data in is making, it's like use user experience. So like I gave the example of the company making like customizable dashboards so they could do that. So they're querying their data from a streaming data source from an API, and then they're building a dashboard on top of that. And actually, Hannah, I'm curious to hear from your perspective too, like if you have any favorite tools you use for making dashboards, or is it mostly like, are you using Excel or are you using like a no-code solution? Or are you building like custom bespoke React front-end components and graphs and D3? I wish I could create those bespoke visualizations using D3. It was one of my goals to learn D3 and I need yep. my time to learn that because it look awesome. But for my work, I use Tableau primarily and mm -hmm. create, yeah, to create dashboards. That's, that's what we use in our company. And that's what I'm the most familiar with. Actually, when I was changing roles about 10 years ago, I was trying to break into data. I That's yep. the first visualization tool that I used. And at that time it was one of the more popular ones. Now there are more out there that I want to learn, but that's like one of those things I have to like stop myself because I'm so tempted to try out the latest and greatest tool. But that's the thing too. Like, I mean, again, depending on your audience, if I was like on Uber and I was designing the app and I needed to make some real-time alerts for customers, I probably wouldn't use Tableau. I'd make something custom and bespoke. But it, it, that depends on your audience, right? Like right. if your boss is asking for it, he probably doesn't want you to spend a month developing a dashboard for a simple report he needs by Friday. This is the part that people, I think, is frequently slept on with using tool sets. It's like, what you're comfortable with is a huge part of what you should, the tool set, like the tech stack you should be using. If you and your team are most comfortable using SQL and Tableau, cool, use that. There's literally nothing wrong with that. The key thing I think is just like making sure that you're using a stack that you can get things done quickly in and also convey the information that the person asking you for this information can digest it easily in. Um, That's great. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Between you and me, Hannah, I... I've used D3 several times. It is very, it's a steep learning curve. It's got a steep learning curve. And mm -hmm. most of the time, like we don't need to be making like, I'm not like right. working for the New York Times making a custom uh -huh. data visualization about some sort of thing. Most of the time it's like a pie chart or a graph or like a geospatial data or something like that. We don't have to reinvent the wheel every time we're like putting together some report or whatever. That was a long-winded answer, but like core components is a database and we're saving the data. And then just like, presenting the data in a way that is friendly for your audience. I will put another caveat on that too. For me, depends on your audience, of course. I love the idea of customizing, like making it easy for people to kind of self-service. The more mm -hmm. I can remove mm -hmm. myself from them getting the information they need from the data I'm kind of shepherding onto them, the better. And I feel like controls, filters, sorting in like a user-friendly way can be a really huge way to communicate that data. Oh yeah. Early in this episode, you mentioned people asking like software engineers questions about the data. Mm. And if that can be answered through your dashboard, that's such a great way of removing the middle person. And yeah, yeah that's actually one of the features I like about Tableau is there's an ask data feature. So even though there's a dashboard you created, but if the person that's using it has additional questions about the data itself, yeah. they can ask different questions and get answers. So it just removes the need of 
talking to your data person and asking them a bunch of questions, bugging them from their day-to-day work. So I love that kind of stuff. You know what? I'm going to make some bold, wild speculations about the future here, but I like... I know something's coming very soon with like using chat GPT and open AI to query that data. For example, even for us as like data engineers and like getting the data in, like it's important for like, just we can just describe in plain English because the system already knows the schema we have, the type of data we have, the structure, and it, we can just tell it what we want and then have chat GPT. And then we pass it all the schema that we're using and then have it generate a SQL response for us automatically. And even like, just kind of skip all that, automate all that, and just like give us a dashboard as we're explaining in plain English. I feel like the barrier of entry to like getting insights from massive data warehouses and all this stuff is like going to like drastically decrease in the near future, which I think is a win. We're helping like put this data together and like the, the better that we can like help people interact with it, I think the better. And I'm not saying we give everybody unfettered access to all the data that we're kind of in charge of, but like, but I think it's going to get easier. I, for one, am excited. It's going to make my job easier. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) You brought up a good point because I know people who are listening, there's some concerns. Is AI going to take over my job and, or is it going to get rid of data jobs? But the the kind of task is going to replace or the tasks that we don't like doing anyways, these are the tasks that take us away from the exciting work. So I'm also excited about it. I know. I love seeing just wildly inaccurate tech predictions. I don't think this one's that far off. No, no. Yeah. This seems reasonable. It's a, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm excited though. I mean, we need data. You need lots of data to train models, Mm -hmm. but like what has more data than a database? Like it's literally defined by the data it's saving in it. And like, using like databases, I think are going to get very good at starting utilizing AI models on that data to make utilizing it easier as right. developers. I know we talked about some examples earlier on this episode, but can you provide some other examples of successful real-time dashboards that you've come across? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I should preface this too. So I work for a company called TinyBird. TinyBird, it's built on top of ClickHouse, which is an analytical database. But basically what we do is make it super easy to import data. It's all serverless databases. And then we also make it super easy for you to like write SQL to publish APIs to utilize that data, which you can be used on dashboards. So you have streaming data sources, you can import Snowflake and BigQuery and all these different like massive data warehouses and streaming data and real-time data sources, and then easily make a API endpoint based on some SQL you wrote. A lot of the work we do though, is for companies who are doing like real-time data is super important. So for example, I think the big ones that we're probably aware of, if you're a human being who's used the internet or a mobile app in the last 10 years, you've probably seen some things like in the finance industry for real-time fraud detection, right? So if you're using a credit card and see some weird Mm. transaction uh, that are occurring in another country or when you should be asleep or for larger amounts that you're known for, like we won't eat. You need those transactions to go through quickly. Otherwise, your users are going to stop using your application, your banking platform or whatever, right? So yeah, your fraud detection has to be massively fast mm-hmm. so it doesn't slow down. Because I know this from working at this large e-commerce company that sells appliances that the longer you make people wait to buy something, the less likely that they are to finish that sale. So that's super important Makes to sense, go yeah. super quickly. So finance, obviously super huge. Retail is really huge too for, and I think we're seeing this more and more and more with personalized recommendations based on whatever. So it's like your previous history, what you're engaging with, what other similar users are engaging with. But when you're loading up amazon.com, like I can't have that site take 10 Mm -hmm. seconds to load to tell me which shirts I should be buying, right? That needs to be near instantaneous Mm -hmm. or else I'm gone. 
I think Amazon did a study that was like a, they did A/B tests where they purposely sandbagged their the website by like ten milliseconds, and they saw a one percent decrease in their revenue, which to them was like billions of dollars. So it's threading the needle with like giving relevant content, but doing it quickly. And that's where real time data becomes super important. Yeah. Transportation. I gave the example of Uber, right? So like we need a notifications in real time when your Uber's here. I want to mm -hmm. see it on that map as it like yeah. cars around dropping people off. <laughs> and that's a real time, right? Like they're showing the information. Right. They're sending that geospatial data in real time out to Uber. And then they're sending it out to me to visualize on the app. And then there's other things too, software engineers, logging. If you're in manufacturing, I want to see real-time dashboard about like my manufacturing plant or like I got really, I, I bought a house last year and I've been really into smart home stuff. So I've been really into like real-time logging, energy usage, a bunch of other analytical stuff on there. But I want like analytics of something's weird or a notification of something's mm -hmm. weird on there. Yeah. there. Oh, and then other like gaming, that sort of like, like if you're playing multiplayer games, right? If I'm online. I need to save, I need to transfer data states, game states to multiple online gamers at the same time in real time, right? I think Google Stadia failed because it wasn't able to manage real time data transfer well enough to be a functional product. So there's just a few examples. Like, I mean, real time is like, I think it's a huge part of our online presence right now. And it's where the industry is going. And if you're not considering these things, I think you're going to be in trouble. Like LinkedIn developed a bespoke database just to handle real-time notifications on, on the menu, right? You get that little red circle on LinkedIn when you get a new notification. They had to build a new database just to handle oh, wow. that. I know, right? <laughs> like, like we're, it solves a problem that traditional databases haven't had to solve before. And like, we're, we're trying to figure it out. It's really interesting to hear. And as you're talking about this, I think we can all think of examples of where real-time data is really needed yeah. in our day-to-day -day lives. I know we touched upon this as well, but it'll be nice to kind of summarize this one more time for people who yes. are listening about the challenges with using real-time data and dashboards and mm. how you recommend addressing them if you do have any recommendations. Yeah, and I'm sure that anyone who's ever like set up like streaming data, like a Kafka, a Red Panda stream before is probably like seen that there are numerous issues with handling real-time streaming data. Uh, but the first one we touched on, which I think is the most important and the one that we're probably most cognizant of is data latency. Like even if you have a Costco stream, it's still using a message queue behind the scenes. So if like things get blocked up, it, the queue just builds and builds and builds. And that can like, you could still have data latency, even though you're using a data structure, a database that's designed to stream in data in real time. So even if you have it well optimized and things aren't getting blocked, we're still constricted by things like the speed of light, which is crazy. This is a fun fact. The two slowest things in like application programming are database reads and writes and the speed of light. Those are the two <laughs> biggest issues we solve. And one of those happens to be constricted by Einstein's theory of relativity that we have the speed of light of constant. Right. So we, until we figure out how to like break the speed of light, the only other thing we can do is, and by, and when I say speed of light, like, cause we're transferring data on fiber optic cables, which the data transfers at the speed of light, right? On undersea cables, we're just kind of blinking lights off and on, that's how we're transmitting data around the world, which is crazy. And that's why we have like CDNs all around the world so that data gets closer to the user that's calling them. So the speed of light is less impacted by, or they have less latency by the, I see. the speed of light, but 
that brings us to like data latency with the other thing that's most time consuming for most applications developers are making, and that's database calls. So making those are like making sure those are well optimized, checking on those too. And I think databases are gotten a lot better at handling that too. And then I'm sure Hannah, you've run into this one quite a bit too. And that's data quality. Have you ever run into like bad data as you're building out dashboards or like trying to visualize some data? The issue that I've run into is that when, when I do have a dashboard that's connected to live data, the performance of my dashboard mm. suffers. And usually I'm advised to create an extract of the data and connect that to my dashboard and then refresh those extracts at whatever cadence I choose, but it's not yep. live anymore. If you're using transactional data or like row-based data and you're having to do a million joins, like that's really bad for data processing and using that for and like, and it's having to do these really expensive operations behind the scenes. So it's like maybe even like readdressing like how that data get, gets saved and like how that, or like doing some query planning and going and investigating like what's happening and why it's slow. Is it doing a full scan? Do we need an index on this? Do we need to put a view on this? Do we need to move this over to a separate database? That's what you're encountering, right? With real-time data, depending on the database you're using, it can really impact performance, which sucks for everybody. So yeah, data latency, huge data quality. This one's huge too, is security. And especially as people were like kind of the gate, like us as being gatekeepers of kind of the data that we're kind of protecting or whatever, you want to make sure that like, Data isn't leaked. And, and I'm, I'm sure you and all of our listeners have heard of with database breaches and data leaks and like all that stuff. And like for us, we don't want to make sure that we're exposing data incorrectly that users should not be seeing, especially like personally identifiable information, GDPR data, mm, HIPAA yeah. protected data, social security numbers, that sort of thing. Like that could be disastrous if like we're not building our systems to be able to protect those data that we're dealing with, right? right? So security, huge. I had a couple others here, like scalability can be big too, but that depends on your database too and kind of how many users you have on there. Usually if you're building internal dashboards, scalability is less of an issue. But if you're dealing with Uber or Google or Facebook scale, like scalability becomes a massive issue for real-time scalability because it gets expensive. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. So anyway, those are some of the big ones. Thank you for addressing those. You really want to evaluate if using real-time data is really what you need yeah. because there's all these things you need to take into consideration and it can be a pretty big effort to yeah. use it and implement it correctly. So yeah, that's all the questions I had for you today. Did you want to bring up anything else before we wrap up the show? Uh, for folks who are like interested in getting started with, with data analytics, I think, and you're interested in the data piece of it, because that's I, I, that my side is more like the data and getting it to the hands of the world in a way that is going to like not cause a massive national security breach and get it quickly. So like you can get it visualized quickly. Yeah. If you're interested in doing that, for sure, I would check out, check out OLAP databases, check out TinyBird. We have a free tier, free forever dev tier. In my humble opinion, it's the easiest, fastest way to get started with analytical real-time database. And we have an API builder on there automatically. So you could just like add some data and then make an API endpoint, start using it on wherever you need it. Super easy. So anyway, if anyone wants to do that, you should for sure check those out. And then otherwise like, just like try it, try it out. I don't know. Like, I, and I'm sure like the hard part is getting data and then like kind of getting into it. It's kind of abstract. Data is not very visual on like the front end. I, I like the idea of like using no code tools to try to just like get something that's usable quickly. Because I learned by doing and I recommend folks who are like, like me or want to just like jump in, try a thing out and try visualizing some stuff. Even if it's just like your Google Analytics data or I don't know, like some 
sales data from H&M or something you find online, like just kind of play around with it. I think it's the best way to like get experience. And for me, running into bugs is the part where I really learn the best. Mm, yeah. I can start Googling from there. So anyway, it's a weird, hard place to get in. Actually, I'm curious, what, what, how would you recommend people get into the data side of this, this space? Your recommendations are exactly what I would also suggest is start to actually work with data. The issue that with data professionals or in people who are aspiring to become data professionals, mm. they get very tempted to keep taking courses or learning yeah. a new skill, but you learn the best when you actually do. Even if you can think of any data around mm. you in your personal life that you can use, you yeah. can also, on my website, I do have a list of places where you can get data for free Ooh. and start working with that. Kaggle's one site, but yeah, it's yeah. really easy to get started with that and play around with it. And when you run into limitations, I also agree. I've learned that from experience as well. Mm. When you have limitations and constraints, that's where you have opportunities for creativity and like problem solving. It's really exciting. So yeah, I agree with that. Shout out to Kaggle. I love it. I, they have amazing data and they're like massive data sources, which can yeah. be really fun to play with. And like, and for us, like it's helpful for like scaling and seeing if it can handle these massive data loads or production, like similar site. And then the other thing that practicing, I, cause I get the same thing. Tons of people ask me like, what are good like videos to watch, which is like cool. I, it's a good place to like, get introduced to it. But like Michael Jordan didn't get good at basketball by watching mm, basketball yeah. videos. Like he was out practicing, right? Like you yeah. get got to get on the court and get messy and sweaty and bump into some skin your knee. It's it's you're gonna have to get out and practice too. And I I, I would push you to get out before you feel fully comfortable to go try it out. Mm -hmm. So yeah, good. start start with videos, but I'm gonna push you out the door a little bit and encourage you to go and build some stuff. Otherwise, that's it. Follow me on TikTok. Follow me on Twitter. Check out Tiny Bird. And I think that's it. Awesome. Yeah. Can you tell folks again where they can find you on Twitter and TikTok? Yeah. You can find me at Joe Carlson, the number one on TikTok. I have my website, Joe Carlson, K-A-R-L-S-S-O-N. And yeah, TikTok, just my first and last name. And people can connect with me on LinkedIn too, if they want to, or ask questions. DMs are open. Perfect. I'll be sharing the links to these as well as uh, the website for Tiny Bird in the show notes for those who are interested in checking that out. Thank you again, Joe, so much for coming on the show today to share all this helpful advice about building interactive dashboards with real-time data. This was really insightful for me and I'm sure for a lot of listeners. So yeah, thank you for your time. Oh, thanks for having me. This has been a blast. Thanks for listening to The Art of Communicating Data. Please subscribe so you never miss out on any brand new episodes and give us some love by dropping a five-star rating and a written review as it helps other data practitioners find us. And please share with a friend and show them how to subscribe. Thanks for listening and here's to improving your data communication.